this is weird. This is cool. I am releasing a cocktail. This is a kind of bonus episode, uh, and I want there to be loads of these because this was one of the coolest things I've ever done. Uh, and like May of this year, I got asked by Johnny Watt, the promoter at PJs, if I wanted to do a live podcast, and he told me who it was, and I said yes straight away. For like the six months leading up to it, I was shitting myself. I didn't want to do it. I was nervous and everything else. And the night before, I barely slept. Got tattooed that day too. I was in a bad mood. It was all painful and just shitty. And I had like four Red Bulls when I went on stage. And as soon as I got on stage, it was like cool as fuck. I was chuffed. I could not believe how many people came. I was expecting barely anyone to come. And there was no empty seats, which was really, really cool. At the start, you can hear I'm so nervous. I'm like stuttering. I'm like shaking probably because of the Red Bull. Uh, yeah, it was honestly just so cool. I want to do another one really badly. Uh, I don't really care who it's with as long as it's musical and I get to have a laugh at it. A lot more people will hopefully come next time because we'll hopefully get a lot more promotional time than last time. But yeah, this is cool. Uh, there is one joke in there that might not be for everybody's taste, but it is what it is. It comes with it, unfortunately. Just a massive thank you to everybody who came that night. It means the world. Thank you to, again, Johnny uh, and Out With Festival and obviously PJs as well. So let's get another one done. I'm cool with this. Uh, th- so this is Stodcast Live Episode 1 with Kim Hawes. It wouldn't be me if it wasn't something fucking stupid, eh? So, <laughs> how are we? A bit more positivity there. How are we? That's good. That's the end of the show. Thank you. Right, so, I know what you're thinking. Who the fuck gave me a mic? Uh, a genuinely massive thank you to Out of the Festival, and especially Johnny, for getting me, getting me to do this. This is really, really cool. Doing podcasts for just over a year now. And to get asked to do this is really, really nice. Uh, quite overwhelming, the people that are here and the numbers. So a massive thank you to all of you for coming. <laughs> of course I would get asked the year I was fucking sober, eh? Like, I couldn't have been... This is, this is just really, really weird. Uh, I will try and keep the swearing down to a minimum. But obviously I'm a borderline Tourette's syndrome, so... Uh, it's weird. I used to work here, like a lot you know, like seven years ago. And if you had said to me seven years ago that I'd be on a stage on a Friday night in PJs, I would have assumed it was because I was in like a hardcore band, acting like a dafty, shouting about how much I hate my stepdad and my, my ex-girlfriend. But I will go, we'll go a podcast instead, so that's quite cool. So uh, I will be recording this uh, for Stodcast. If it goes well then we leave all happy, and if we don't, we just take the £9 hit and just don't talk about it again. So <laughs> that's the best way forward. Uh, so yeah, Kim got what we got asked to do this. I knew who Kim was, obviously, for touring with Motorhead. You might know I kind of like Motorhead a wee bit, they're all right. So uh, I got asked to do this with Kim. Obviously, I did my research. Kim has worked with some of the biggest names in rock and roll, uh, and being a woman in the industry of heavy metal in the 80s must have been a different world. So we'll hear all about that tonight. Uh, so yeah, just ladies and gentlemen, welcome Kim Hawes to the stage. Woo! 
Hello. Hi. <laughs> I'm not that intimidating, honest. <laughs> I need to pretend we didn't speak like an hour ago in proper work through what the hell we're going to talk about. So, uh -huh. yeah, this is weird. Um, so, you're here because of a book called Lipstick and Leather. I am. Uh, and you sent me a copy of your book, which was very, very kind of you. <laughs> so, I am ADHD to hell. I cannot sit still for two seconds. So This is going to be hard, then. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> I read the first two, two pages and went and did the dishes, and then went and got the audio book uh, on Audible, so that was very, very good. So I've actually only read two books in my life. One was The Tiger Who Came to Tea when I was, like, <laughs> seven, and the other one was White Lion Fever by Lemmy. So okay. I've listened to your book, so I'll call it 2.5 books I've read <laughs> in my life now. Um, yeah, as you can tell, I'm quite nervous at this. This is weird. Well, to be honest, I, I don't read either. You don't read? I, I don't read. And you wrote so, a book? Uh, it was like when somebody said you should write this down, I was a little bit, how? Yeah. You know, and I didn't do very well in English at school either. Oh, really? So my daughter had to do, help me. She had to be, because be, I, like put, oh, well, I just like to put commas after everything because I'm not quite oh, really? sure where they go. <laughs> So, and my spelling is a Motorhead, comma, tour, comma. Yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. But um, I had a lot of help with the books. So, it was just a case of, I wanted to tell the stories from a different side. We've heard stories about bands from journalists. Every journalist that's toured and written about bands, you've heard, they've written a book. You've had... And, and bands, to be honest, if a journalist goes on tour with a band, a band does not act the same. They play it up. Yeah. They play it up just, just like people play up for cameras, you know? That's what they do. So, so those stories are never really real. And then the bands usually hate having them there as well. So they'll be nice to them for an hour. And then after an hour, they get like, why are they still here? Um, so there's that side. And also, we've heard stories from musicians. Now, I am, <laughs> I am totally tone deaf. <laughs> okay? So that, that's one thing. I can't sing. I can't play a musical instrument. That's why I do podcasts. I can't do them <laughs> either. <laughs> Try and market that and yeah. fuck it. <laughs> well, it's just, I just can't do it. So how did I get into the music industry? Very much. Yeah, let's start yeah. with that. That usually is the first kind of thing. I was going to say, I'm... Obviously, because I'm shaking a wee bit. I might, like, stutter a wee bit. I might sound like... You ever seen Harry Potter, Professor Quirrell, the guy with the purple <laughs> turban? That's what I'm going to sound like. Hey, I don't have a second head, but, like... Okay. That's what... If I, I'm sorry if I... Did, 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 so, I do apologise for that. Uh, yeah, so... Quick question before going into that, right? Uh, looking on Amazon at your book that, didn't, that you sent me, thank you, uh -huh. there was a book called Confessions of Female Tour Manager. Yes. Is that the same book? It is a demo. Well, I'll tell you what it was. What happened was I quit touring in 2013. And basically it was to go home and look after my mum. My mum had done so much for me. Um, I'm a, she was a sort of one-parent family back in the days when there weren't that many one-parent families. I lived with my grandparents who by then had passed away. And like many people today, they've got somebody that had cancer. And I decided that, you know what, I was getting a bit too old, for one, for sleeping on a tour bus. And um, I'd had enough. So I just decided that that was far more important. So quit. Now, the book came because I sat there telling stories to people. In commas. In commas. <laughs> 
And um, I just thought, do you know what? Before anything actually happens to my mum, I'd really like to kind of ask her permission. She knew what I was like, yeah. you know. She knew exactly what I was like and what I'd done and everything. But I wasn't so sure how she might react for, to me actually writing these stories down. Did she get a chance to read the first draft book? No. Well, we didn't really do a draft. I just talked about it. I just talked about it. And then after she passed away, for me to do something, I, I wrote Confessions of a Female Tour Manager. And I just... It was kind of very quickly because I wanted to go out on a certain date that related to my mum. It was on my mum's birthday, and um, we had two days to actually put it on Amazon. So again, I looked at my daughter. Is it a hard copy? No. No, so it's all, it's just, right, it's okay. Just, right, yeah, like I just put e-book, it out there. Yeah. And um, so that was it. So from that, I uh, started talking about it at various people that I knew, and it got picked up by a publishing company. And because of the fact that it had already been on Amazon and they commented on some of the, my phrasing, etc., because these were proper English people, you know, who, who knew what they were writing and editors and people like that. So we, we rewrote it. So if anybody's got a copy of Confessions, it's probably worth a lot more money than lipstick and leather. <laughs> I'm a collector that buys, like, things for a stupid amount of money, so that's, like, my next find. Okay. Try to find a book that doesn't <laughs> exist, so... Just quickly, so you, you've done a lot of, like, podcasts, obviously you've done the Talking Bollocks, you did the official Motorhead podcast, which has got over a million listeners, which is a couple more than mine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you've done a lot of these, um, like, in-person yeah. live things. Yeah. You've never... you ever done, like, a shit one, or one that's gone badly? There's time. I'm just, I'm just setting you up, I'm just, yeah... <laughs> That's a warning, not a question. <laughs> yeah, there is time, but right. we won't. We yeah. won't do that. We're fine. Yeah, we're so you've fine. never done a bad one? They've all no, gone to they've plan. They've always been cool. okay. Yeah, okay. So okay, far. that's fine. <laughs> cool, right. So we talked about this earlier on. We don't want to go into, like, oh, what school were you at? What did your mum eat you for breakfast when you were six years old? Uh-huh. That doesn't really matter. Growing up around the house, etc., and in life, You've been, do- uh, sorry, you've kind of publicly said in like, your book and uh, podcast, etc., that you're not actually into metal music. I don't so like when, metal. So when you were younger, what was kicking about the house? I, my first single I bought was Manfred Mann 54321 when I was four years old. How do I remember that? I've no was it, idea. Was the B-side, no idea. <laughs> was the B-side A, B, C, D, E? <laughs> <laughs> but that's what it was called. It's called 54321. It was by Manfred Mann. And I was four years old when I, that was my uh, very first single. What was the chorus? Happy New Year. Well, it just that it was just the the numbers, I guess. And I was young, yeah, and it was yeah. just beaty. And um, and basically, there was a record store next to where my grandma had a market store, and I went in there with her, obviously at four, and uh, I just wanted that single. Was so this badly. on a seven inch? Obviously, yeah. Yeah. Seven inch. Yeah. Mine was Atomic Kitten. So okay. okay. Mine's a wee bit better. <laughs> But saying that, I mean, the Osmonds, Donny Osmond, I was completely into Donny Osmond when I was younger. And um, this kind of, I, I don't know, I've put it, when I've thought about it, after you've written a book, you sit down, you, you think about things that you've written about, and you go, do you know what? That could actually what be a part of what pushed me to where I got to. Because I was, oh gosh, about 10, and Donny Osmond was coming close to where I lived, near Liverpool, and I was begging my mum to get us tickets. 
you know, and she was like, but people are queuing up and it's three days off before they're even out. I'm not, I can't go and do that. And I cried. I was absolutely devastated at the fact that we could not get tickets for me to go and see Donny Osmond. What venue was this? I think it was, it, was in, it was either the Liverpool Empire or something like that. Right, OK. And Shepherd, no, not Shepherd's Bush. That's no, 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 no. Yeah. And, um, and I, was, I was heartbroken. Yeah. And it stuck with me. And I actually was angry as well. No, I mean, I don't know why I was angry at her, but I was 10. So, you know, I was like, yeah. And um, I made a commitment to myself that I was never again going to miss another gig. That's and basically, what I love to say after all of that is I actually took an artist on the Donny and Marie show and met them properly. Oh, really? So that is so much better. Did you tell that story, how you put oh, in yeah, a tantrum since you were 10 years old? I told him. I said, look, you know, my mum, why, why, why did this happen? Yeah. Didn't you know I was coming in like 25, <laughs> 30 years' time? But yeah. Sorry. So, so it's, it, it was. So that, that was one of the encouragements. But the other one... And my mum actually told me this. I don't, I don't know if anybody out there believes in, like, I don't know, gypsies and things like that. I, I don't know. But my mum worked in a paper shop. And back when I was a baby, which is long before any of you guys were born or anything, people used to be able to put prams with babies outside. You know, so my mum was working in the paper shop, and I was in my pram outside the paper shop. And this gypsy used to come in once a day for her cigarette. And in those days, they sold one cigarette with a match. We had that skill, so it depends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she was coming into the shop. And um, my mum was getting, like, onto the counter, getting the cigarette ready and the matches. And uh, she you said... a I'm, single match? Yeah, you got and a single comes match. And that comes fuck, I'd break it. Do you have to... Do you get like a backup, no? No, no, it was just that, that's what you what got. What was a fag in a match? What was that? I, oh, I don't know. I was in the pram outside. Oh, right, I, I no suppose I, uh, uh, you were watching the door. <laughs> <laughs> that's mental. That's like yeah. live bait now. That's, yeah. I mean, you would never get away with that now. That's mental. So uh, she came in, and she, my mum, like I say, was about to give her the cigarette and charge her the money, whatever it was for it, and she said, I'm not coming for that today. And my mum looked at her and was like, well... What, what is it, you, you know, what did she want? She said, I want to talk, talk to you about your daughter in the pram outside. She's not there. <laughs> <laughs> I sold her, Dad. Yeah, I know, yeah, I know. <laughs> Tell you about what happened to your daughter in the pram outside. <laughs> and she just said, um, she's going to be huge in music. She's going to be really big in music. And my mum just was like, yeah, right. Because none of my family could play an instrument. Nobody could sing. And in fact, I did join the choir at high school. And it was only because I got out of maths. You know, because you put, you, rehearsals were on a Monday afternoon and that's where maths was. And, and so I, I went to join the choir. Even though you're tone deaf. Well, you I, I was time, actually yeah. told to mime. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I said, we, they needed to make up numbers. So I was put in, in the choir. So and you're just, employed to be a mannequin, essentially. Yes, yeah. yeah. It was the first um, time I knew heard about lip sync. So oh, really? it was like, there I was. Plenty, yeah, that, going, plenty going, uh, that going on in 1985. Eh, so. Yes. <laughs> right. Uh, so that was your kind of early years, your Donny uh -huh. Osmond obsession, being left in a pram. That's quite... Yeah. Maybe, she may be looking into that. Uh, <laughs> uh, so growing up then, do you, you got rid of 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. I did. And you upgraded it to 15, 16, 17. 
Yeah, the monkeys came next. The monkeys came next. Yeah, the monkeys came next. Um, I mean, that was big because they also had their own TV show at the time. Yeah, so it's like (laughs) watching the monkeys and listening to the monkeys. And um, I I just love music. I I loved every part of it. And it's not... People actually... My daughter said to me that I listen to elevator music. You know, that it's so boring and so mundane and things like that compared to the people that I've worked with. But it, it's true. I I don't know as... To begin with, I, I did. I loved any type of music. And we lived in this small, tiny village that absolutely had nothing going on mm-hmm. within it. And so to get some life and have a life, we used to just go and watch any band that was playing either at Lancaster University or at Preston Guildhall. And it was anybody. You know, it didn't matter. It was just a case of that was a night out. So we just used to go. And um, so I listened to all kinds of music. I like, I've, I've been to operas. I've, I've done everything like that. But heavy metal was never anything that I really enjoyed. And I used to, well, I didn't even see them on top of the pops. But I remember my grandfather when he first saw Motorhead on top of the pops, actually. Was this the one when Filthy had his uh, drumsticks sail-taped his hand because yeah. he broke his wrist? Yeah. yeah. But, I, but it, it was just like, it, it was a case of, he got on the phone to my mum and he just said, for God's sake, Doreen, get home now, immediately, <laughs> otherwise I'm going to get her. Because he'd never seen anything. He was like, oh my God, yeah. no. So I take it from hanging about the scene and just going to anything, that's kind of how the career started. Just kind of... It's not what you know, it's who you know. Is that how you bled into the... I lied. You lied? Yeah. You just lied. I I just lied So what was your first job? And was it like, we need somebody to sell T-shirts for the night? Was it? No, it wasn't even that. It was, I I lied and I was naive. You know, I mean, like I said, we came from a small farming village and there wasn't a much life. It was a place called Hesketh Banker. I, I think there was less than... 300 people lived in the whole area at the time. and But I was lucky enough to go to America while I was at school. And I was... It was the year... I was 17 years old, and I went back to America to stay with my pen pal type thing for Christmas. And Elvis Costello was on Saturday Night Live. Like I say, you've got to remember that this was long before any internet or. How did you get like a pen pal in America? It was I had one, school. but it was in Hull. So <laughs> <laughs> it was actually through the school. Um, you got, yeah. Right, and they started. And your parents off, trusted you to go live with somebody that. Well, lived. no, we we prefer, how it started. We started off as being pen pals, and then we went on a school exchange, exchange trip. Oh wow! Which was amazing. It, it was in that Dayton, Ohio. You know, yeah. I mean, it wasn't exactly New York or LA. It was Dayton, Ohio. So, yeah. Is that legal now to like just punt kids off? Like, well, we had teachers with us. All <laughs> oh, right, so yeah, it wasn't just you getting kicked no, on a plane, right? No, no, right? no, no, no. We had teachers. We to, know what to stamps look like. Go and live with them. Yeah. yeah. Right, okay. Like, do you think it was just a, 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 a me being passed off from the pram? So I've done oh, the pram yeah, thing yeah, and yeah. then off to yeah. No, no, no. I knew life was looser <laughs> back then, eh? But <laughs> brutal, man. Right. Yeah, so Elvis, Elvis Castell on Saturday Night Live. He was, and um, of course, every all the family that I was with knew that I liked Elvis Costello, so we all sat around and watched it, and I'm getting all these questions about it and how, how I liked him, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then I went home after Christmas, back home, and we were actually going to see him. We were at Preston Guildhall on the 17th of January, so we 
went to the pub first, as you do at 17, and me and my girlfriend had a bet, because I was going to marry Steve Naive at the attractions, the keyboard player. He didn't know it. No. No. I don't know who Steve Naive is. That's a cool name. Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Isn't it, Johnson? He was so punky. He had jet black punky hair and these weird glasses. And yeah, and so I was going to marry him. And my girlfriend, Jackie, was going to marry Elvis Costello. Again, he didn't know either. Oh, did I not? No. So we went to the pub. We got completely hammered on um, rum and black. I, it was just the traditional drink at the time. So I'm still thinking about the fact that you're marrying someone with it and then knowing. That was the same with me with, with Atomic Kitten. But was it? Did, Kerry no? Katona never got back to me. So I, I know. Got, I was I exa exactly. And what was even more disappointing. So, okay, so we get, we, we get into the Preston Guild Hall and I say to Jackie, right, I'm going straight down to the stage. And I just walked up to the stage and I said to this guy, excuse me. And he was like, yes, like, yeah, what do you, you know, typical roadie, what do you, you know, what do you want? And I said, um, I was with Elvis Costello when they, like, filmed Saturday Night Live in America. And he just went, oh, my, really? Now, who in Preston or anywhere would know at that time? Nobody over here had hardly heard of Saturday Night Live. Oh. So the fact that I'd actually got one of the road crew that was with them and, and he was like, I'll, I'll tell them. And, and basically, yeah, come meet me here at the end of the show and you can come backstage. Well, hey, I'm in. It's so shit, Roddy's under that naive these days. Eh? I'd be on to, <laughs> be on to Rebecca Clyro so fucking quickly. <laughs> so, so then I, I did. I went, went up to the stage and I was met by this guy and he said, come on, quick, they're, they're just about to go to the hotel. So... I went quickly backstage, and I'm like so excited. I mean, I can remember this. And he went, they've already left. But it's okay, they're at the hotel across the road. Here's a key. So I'm like, fine. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that was... Mm. So we get, we get to the hotel, and he... Well, you're 17, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was 17. Uh, okay, that's fine. And, uh, <laughs> it was, what, 79? <laughs> Seven, yeah, no, yeah. it's 78. This 78, that's fine. Yeah, 70, well, yeah. no, 78, 70, yeah, it was 79. There's a really good Jimmy Savile joke I'm going to refrain myself from saying here, so it's fine, it's fine. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a bit like... Anyway, we get there, they're in the bar. So I go up the stairs and they're sat around this huge round table and I sat down next to the Steve Naive. And, of course, he didn't know who I was. Um, nobody knows. <laughs> <laughs> my age. ID not included. <laughs> but then it comes to the fact, I'm sorry, I've got to go now. And the guy was like, the guy that taped me there was like, why have you got to go? And I was like, I've got to catch a bus home. It was the last bus home. You know, so I'm like, bye, see ya, I'm going. So, and, and I, I met them by this time. I'd sat next to Steve Naive, you know, there was nothing else could top that. Yeah. So I, I left, but I gave the guy my phone number and he invited me on the tour. On the uh, uh, Castello tour? Yeah. We are friends now. I have to point that out. We are now friends. That's mental. So that's the thing. Is what the story you just described to me is uh -huh. like something that I would read in a, a screenshot of notes from a band allegation. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's Absolutely. what you're dealing with nowadays. Absolutely. Like, oh, I met him on tour. He seemed really nice at the time. Yeah. He gave me his phone number and that. Yeah. And, yeah, met him and, and it was because I yeah. was that naive. So there was I, Steve naive and there was you naive. No, yeah. this, exactly. But this was actually their tour manager. And um, so he said, come on the rest of the tour. And I was like, I don't know. I'll have to ask my mum first. 
<laughs> so I did, and I went home and I said, Mom, can I go out on tour? And she was like, no. Amazing if you said the name. Oh, just that guy called Steve Naive. Like. Yeah. <laughs> but she also knew that because of who the person I was, if I, she wasn't careful, she'd wake up one morning and the window would be open and I'd have gone. So she played it really... I'm sure that's the least of her worries of you getting like yeah. a pram but outside the newsagents at one-year-old. <laughs> she ran open windows, nothing. Hasn't time changed? <laughs> <laughs> but it was, like I say, so... Yeah, we... Um, she, she actually spoke to the tour manager on the phone and she said to him, like, where are you going? How much is the, the tour is left? It was only like a week left. And she said, give me all the names of the hotels that you're staying at. She was so clever, because I'd never thought of this. And... Um, she booked me my own room at all these oh. hotels. So, I arrive <laughs> at the, ho- the, the first night I arrive to see this guy, and he was like, yeah, we better go to bed now. And I was like, that's a bit early. You know, so I was like, but okay, that's, that's what we do. So he had a day off that day. How old is Castillo and Steve Naive at this time? I don't know, actually. No. But it wasn't Steve Naive. And Steve Naive had his Beyonce with him at the time, oh, which really? I thought was really rude. Real, oh, yeah, I know. It's a good cover-up story, though. My wife was with yeah, me. It's fine, yeah. yeah. That holds well done in court. <laughs> so then he goes, we go to the lift, and we get in the lift, and he presses one button. And I was going, no, no, no. And I pressed a different button. And he was like, what are you doing? Where are you going? And by then, the lift had got to my floor, and I went, going to bed. Good night. See ya. And I went to bed. Because this guy then is stood in, as you can imagine, at the times like I say, were different, stood in the lift probably going, what just happened? You know? They're not different now, they're just, it's just frowned upon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so that was it. And then the next morning I didn't get a phone call, I didn't get anything from them, so I thought, alright, I'll just make my way down to the venue. And I did, and I sat in the corner of the venue, and nobody spoke to me. And I just thought, and this is supposed to be what, you know, life on the road on tour is supposed to be so amazing and this is so boring Boring, yeah but then it got to five o'clock and somebody went where's Lorraine and uh, he went she's still in the hospital well who's going to sell the t-shirt I don't know and this guy just looked at me went can you sell shirts and I'm like well yeah because I was you probably heard this I was told at school by the careers psychiatrist by this time because I wanted to be an astronaut originally you know, uh, I wanted to be an astronaut. It was 1969 and all that lot. And it was like, men were on the moon. And that's what I wanted to do. And he just looked at me and he went, girls don't do that. And I said, okay, so what do girls do? He said, why don't you do some secretarial course or anything? I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. And then he said, I tell you what, a job in a shop would be good for you. This Going, is the career advisor. This is the career yeah. advisor. And I was like, but I don't want to work in a shop. And he just said... A nice shop. So I actually <laughs> go back schools, to Not Tesco's, Marks and yeah. Spencer's, Yeah, obviously. it's just like a nice department store yeah, he was talking. Yeah. I was like, no, I don't want that either. But I actually took his advice, didn't I? And I sold T-shirts on tour. And a moving van, not buying a counter, so that's fine. That's, yeah. That's all good. So, Elvis, so that tour ended, by the end of it, you were selling I, T-shirts. I was selling T-shirts. I did it for the rest of the tour and then went home and then went back to... Oh, I was actually trained to be a swimming teacher, a swimming instructor. Very different. It was a bit different. So I went back to that for a week or so and um, then got a phone call from the people Rush. that... Well, yeah. it wasn't Rush. It was through the people that did the, um, the merchandising company. And they just said, 
you had a good time. I was like, yeah, great time and loved it. And then they said, do you want to do it again? And I'm Had like, you gone up in age by this point? I was no. 19 by now. Oh, you're 19 by yeah. now. That's fine. That's okay. so, fine. So, yeah. Okay. And uh, would I like to go to Europe with a band called Rush? And I'm like, absolutely. Did but you know I who Rush were? No. That's mental, eh? Yeah. I, I had to go and ask one of my, my girlfriend's brothers who Rush were, because he yeah. was like, she's doing what? He's like, I'm going to work for a band called Rush. Who are they? And he was just like, no way. And But they were great. They were fantastic, yeah. Yeah, what was it like being on tour with Rush? And back 79, 78? 79. Yeah, what was yeah. that like? It was, was eye-opening. European tour? Euro- European tour. tour. European yeah. So basically, we're on a tour bus. I'd never been on a tour bus in my life before. Um, we're staying at all these five-star hotels, you know, which I'd never had that opportunity before. Where I'm going to places that I could never afford it to go to. I'm seeing cities that I would never have dreamed of, you know, and it was amazing, absolutely amazing. But because of my age, Rush were actually looked after me. Most bands did. And it was purely for the fact that, A, there was a girl on tour, and B, she was really young, and, and they were ever so nice. I was looked after all the time. So there was no shenanigans or anything like that going on. I don't have any, I don't have any to say about that. So. <laughs> yeah, but uh, so Rush were fantastic. Um, uh, there's a, a huge story about coming to the end of that tour when we were in, um, did, did the Pink Pop Festival. Yeah. And I, I just remember it so well because I met so many people that day. And it all started when one of our road crew... I mean, there's no health and safety in those days. It didn't exist. And so there wasn't even a barrier around the stage at the back. And this poor roadie walked backwards and fell off the stage and broke his leg. And as he fell, I saw him falling, so I ran to him. And I'm like, are you okay? Are you okay? And he was like, I, I'm, I'm fine, but my leg, my leg... And I look up and Mick Jagger's by the side of me with Jerry Hall. And going, is the guy okay? And I'm like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Forget your leg. Hold on. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so I met them. And then that night after the show had finished, we all went back to the hotel. I got tarted up because I was... Because you were 19 and it was fine? I was 19 and it was fine. Yeah, I was fine then. And I went down to the bar and the police... they just had the single Roxanne out and they're just sitting at the side and I go up to the bar and it was a cocktail bar in this hotel and they said, she's too young, don't serve her. And the guy looked at me and he went, have you got your passport or anything? I said, it's no good, you're supposed to be 21 and I'm 19. Thanks, Sting. So it was like, and they were like, no, no, seriously, I'm really sorry. I'm I'm so, I didn't mean to do that. We were just joking about. It's like, great, now I've got to go. And... um, so Sting even asked like what I wanted to drink and he would buy it for me. But the bartender was like, Nope, she can't, she's gotta go. And um Geddy actually found out as I'm walking out, like, where are you going? And I was like, I'm gonna go back up to my room. Can't get in the bar, they won't serve me. And um so I went up to the room and then I got a phone call to come back down because Ross had just rented the room across the hallway uh with a private bar and I could now go in it. And a barman that doesn't know you yet. Yeah. yeah. So um, I love that in a bar. You don't get served in that bar. I'll just fuck off downstairs to the other bar. <laughs> <laughs> they, they don't know my face yet. Yeah. So we did. And we got so drunk because of it. And um, then I ended up, first time I actually ended up with the 
hotel key in the door, but I hadn't made it. I was on the floor outside. And they were vacuuming around me in the morning. <laughs> so that was that. But Geddy Lee apparently was in the lift and he was just going up and down all night <laughs> until he actually had to get back on the tour bus for us to come back to the UK. Gotcha. So, yeah, that was, that was fun. But like I said, there was just all these different people there that night and I was just walking around with my mouth wide open. That's, yeah, must be quite like, weird doing that. And, like, I've, I have been in a situation, I went to a gig once, like, actually this year, and it was a room full of people who were friends with the band. It was a small venue. And I was watching every, like, other person I seen, I was like, wow, you're in a band I fucking love, or uh-huh. you're this person, you're that. It's a weird, a weird thing, yeah. Even, well, it must be because you're working with these people as well, eh? So. Yeah, well, it was, it, yeah, because you got a backstage pass around your neck and it was yeah. just incredible. Yeah. You know, because you were part of them. But you hadn't to show it. I, I got told off for clapping, actually, to begin with. What, clapping? Yeah, you know, I'd, they'd done this um, amazing, like they, they did, uh, Neil had done this amazing drum solo. And I was like, yay, woo, and all this lot. And the girl I was with just looked at me and went, we don't do that. <laughs> How dare you be positive, Kim? I know. How dare yeah, you? Yeah, you know, it's like, we work for them, we don't do that. And I was just like, oh, okay. But the reason why I got my first job, now this is, this is different, this shows how times have changed. I got my first job because I was a brunette. Had nothing to do with anything whatsoever but they always sent a blonde and a brunette out on tour because then we could sell merchandise into anybody. Oh, wow. It was the typical, you know, Hollywood thing. You know, you see Marilyn Monroe there with... What's, what's the, that one? I can't remember her name. Um, but there was the two of them in, uh, in the movies. Uh, um, I don't know. But anyway, what's that? Yes, yeah. And it, 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 So that was their format. They just sent a blonde out and a brunette, and I... Just she was right chipping in her pillow, I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so it was, yeah. Right, so that was in the Rush Tour. Yeah. Uh, and I suppose the next step was Motorhead, and the kind of gateway to that was through Bronze, which was a record label that they're both signed to, yeah. kind of through Jerry. So how did that come in? And how did you get told, by the way, you're going on tour with these three absolute cycles? Well, do you want to, the first time I met him, Lemmy? Fire on. Oh, God. That's why we're here. (laughs) (laughs) So, basically, um, I was, the merchandising company I worked for were called Holy T-Shirts, and they were run out of offices on Great Western Road, and it was only the second time, third time I've been to London in my life. Third time. And, um, again... You know, I was scared to death. I'd been told how to get there. I got there, pressed the buzzer. Didn't even know how buzzers worked. <laughs> like, what happens next? I pressed the buzzer and she went, come in. But what happens? What do I do? Do I open the door? You know, it was one of those. So I, I walk in and I, there's a reception desk. And there was a blonde and a brunette in the reception desk as well. And um, I got to meet motorcycle Irene. Yeah, she was scary. Especially when you're 19, she was really scary. She had long black hair. I'm going to say a skirt. It was more like a belt. (laughs) And a pair of boots that were thigh-high black boots and the blackest eye makeup I've ever seen. And um, she was talking with this guy with long hair and a leather jacket on. And um, so she said to me, come on, sit down and wait there. 
So I was like, yes, okay. <laughs> I was shaking by then. And then this guy turned around to me and he had this huge smirk on his face. And so did Irene. And uh, he said, come here. In his gruff voice, I was like, okay. And he went, just put this on. So I put my arms out and put my arm in one side and put my arm out in the other. Then he went, turn round. And suddenly I'm in a straight jacket. <laughs> and then he said, get out of that one. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, no, okay. So I just stood there and then I got this buzzer came through and it was like, you can send her up now. And um, Lemmy just went, she might be a while. <laughs> they did help me out of it in the end, but that was my first meeting of him. And then I went upstairs and I met um, the people that owned the merchandising company. And one of those was Doug Smith. His claim to fame is, if anybody's got a very, very old Trivia Pursuit game, he's actually in there as Motorhead's manager. He was their first manager. And um, he just uh, said to me, so Kim, what kind of music are you into? And I was like, you've got The Damned, haven't you? And he was like, yeah, we, we, we look after The Damned. I'm like, I love them. And I love all kinds of punk music, but I hate heavy metal. And he was like, okay, right, good to know. So your first tour then is going to be over the band called Motorhead. <laughs> and I'm like, but, but I don't. And then he's like, do you want it or not? Well, of course I did, because, you know, there was the opportunity of who might come next. Was this the overkill? Was this yes, the start? this is so overkill. So this was the start of this the... This is the start of the start. That was the, the first album that really got yeah. them out there, so... And guess what job they give the young 19-year-old on a merchandising stand? Rolling posters. I had <laughs> so many cots on my hands. You know, it was like, there's 500 posters there, and they, you had to roll each one up, put an elastic band around it, and put it in a bin liner ready to sell it. And so, of course, I got that shit job every time for the whole of that tour. And the, but they did have a 3D poster as well of Overkill. And that They're was worth cool. so much money now. And I've, I've got one. Yay! <laughs> I'll place my bed after the talk. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'm just trying to think of a price in my head that's worth uh -huh. <laughs> Right, so that was the uh, Overkill. Overkill. Album. So you did. Did you do every album cycle up to eighty nine, which would have been yes. the rock and roll? Yes. That's mental. So you were there from the three. They're, well, they're not actually the original three, but they're they're no, fast as the yeah. original three. The, I did the original three. Um, then we, did you did you yeah did you do Brian Robertson? Yes. Another, yeah. That's another my perfect favorite, day. Another perfect day. It's my favourite motor. It's actually forty years. Oh, this uh -huh, year. Uh -huh. no, no. Yeah, I did that. Now, I've got a great story with this, is that I don't know if any people feel the same as I did, but there was one guy who I actually thought was quite good looking, who? and he was Phil Linnett. What, from Phil, oh, Yeah. Dark, curly hair and everything. It was. He was stunning, and he wore this... He came to see them, because obviously the connection with uh, Brian Robertson, he came to see him, and... Um, he was in the dressing room, he had this shocking pink sequin suit on, you know, and it was just his Irish accent and everything else. And basically we had to get from the dressing room to front of house, he wanted to get there. And um, then we just went, well, Kim's going to front of house, just go with her. And we had to go through these corridors underneath the stage at Hammersmith Odeon. And you could get seriously lost down there. And we were lost for about 10 minutes. 
Just you and Phil, ain't it? Just me and Phil. What a shit shame that is. Eh? <laughs> Man, worse when it happens, eh? I took the wrong door. Sorry, Phil. <laughs> yeah, but again, you know, it was like, who's going to. I was so young, and, and I used to wear my hair in a ponytail and a, and a tour t shirt and a pair of jeans on and trainers. And there were these groupies around, and they were stunning, and it made me pig sick because they were all models and they were all six foot tall, and they had long flowing hairs and locks and beautiful makeup on and clothes because they'd been able to iron them, you know. They weren't yeah. coming off a tour bus and had a shower in a cold shower somewhere and stuff like that, and yeah. Can I ask about the Ace of Spades tour? Like, it's obviously one of the most classic albums of all time, and there's a few people I know I was on that tour and there was no, there was a different, just a different vibe that entire year. Do you agree? Was it, did you, was the, obviously, because they did, they did um, Ace of Spades, then released Hammersmith while still on tour and they just blew up. What, did it, did you feel that? Did the band feel it? And was the, was there a massive spike in attention in the band that you noticed massively from the Bomber era? You know what I mean? In the next kind of year, did it feel like that or was it just, has it just been blowing up? I, I don't, I, I, I can't remember, to be honest. Yeah. But what I can say is that Lemmy was the same person from day one to the last day I ever saw him. Yeah, I believe So that. he never changed. Yeah. Um, I did not get on with Fast Eddie at all. Why not? <laughs> this, this is a story that I've put in the book, and it's basically because one of my friends, the girl that I stayed with, my pen pal in America, came over to see me this time. And I was on tour, and it was we were in Birmingham, and we used to stay at the hotel opposite Birmingham Odeon, and the bar was on the top floor, and she was waiting for us all to get back that night, and so I went up, and she was there, and uh, Fast Eddie was also there, and he tried to he was chatting her up basically, and so I said to her, I said, "Just come, come, Vanessa, come with me for a minute," and I took her to one side. I was like, "Look." you know, be careful there. And she was like, oh, okay, because she was a bit naive too. Steve, <laughs> Steve naive. Steve naive. <laughs> so, yeah, so um, then she went back and he uh, obviously was talking to her and things and um, she just said, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm going to go now. And he threw a wobbler fit because of the fact that I'd spoken to her. And... Um, like I say, we were on the 10th floor, and unfortunately for me, I was sat in the booth by the window, the open window. In those days, again, no health and safety. You could open a window as far as it would go, and he decided to push me out of it. Luckily, his um, roadie got hold of my legs and pulled me back in, stopped him from actually pushing me through the window. How many stories high? How many what? Stories. Like, story, you fell out a window. Was it like a bottom floor window? No, tenth floor. Tenth floor of the bar on the bar. They were so at the a guy floor. I've got tattooed on me tried to murder you. So yeah. <laughs> tried to yeah. Mark, we need to get that one removed. <laughs> Where are you? <laughs> Scratch now, it off. <laughs> afterwards, later later on in years, he he understood completely. But it was just the fact that how could this kid yeah. stop his fun? You know, not not even fun. How you know he was trying to get to know somebody, and I'd gone, don't go near that. You know, just be careful, beware. And, um, yeah, she uh Was she he quite an abrupt lives. end to a tour because he murdered well, somebody? No, well, he didn't because, like, Paul, his, the, the roadie that was there, who then went on to work with Cliff Richard, by the way. Um, Boo. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, was, uh, he was there and he grabbed he just grabbed my legs and pulled him up and then put Eddie up against the wall, basically. 
Really? And um, yeah, but the next day when the management company and everybody had found out what had happened and what had gone on in the bar, you'd have thought that Eddie would have kept his distance from me, but instead he just said, if, I ever, if you ever talk to me or smile at me or do anything again, I will push you through the window. So that was it. We, we just stayed apart till later, later in life, and um, yeah, and we were okay. Yeah, it, it was just spare of the moment. Things ha- that happened. <laughs> it's fine because they, they kicked the ball. He left after yeah. Iron Fist. Were yeah. you, you were on Iron Fist too. Were you there? Best tour. Well, I got, I got told that yeah. the, the first four dates when they tried to come at the big fist and it used to fall to bits. <laughs> Did that actually happen? Because there's, oh, no, there's yeah. no footage of that. No. But you heard different stories of different members. Like, oh, like, they fell and then they fell off the stage and then the fist yeah. fell off. And well, like, it started off because basically... It was meant to open up like a kind of... Trinket chest almost. Okay, so it was like a fist like that, and it was supposed to open up like that and point at people. Yeah, yeah. It was like a a spotlight on the end of each finger, and it would go out into the audience. But it so there was also a stage that was up, like they play, and the stage came down from the ceiling. Mm -hmm. It was absolutely incredible, and um, to see that was just yeah, that was one of their better ones. Yeah. It, it was amazing, but they they made mistakes like that all the time. They had a train that was, they used from or gas gas yeah. I they heard took that it to, to America. Well, yeah, that went to shit. Yeah, it it basically it took up a whole Arctic, and it travelled around America at God knows how much, and they couldn't fit it in any venue. Yeah, because nobody had actually thought to look at the fact of how big it was and the venues that they were playing at so that they time. So for an aeroplane, the bomber, yeah. they it for that instead. Yeah. So I love the the irony as well that. Um, Fast Eddie Clark left Motorhead because Lemmy did a song called Stand By Your Man. And that was <laughs> the idea. He did like the fact that he recorded it with Wendell Williams and that was like the final straw. Well, you know, I can't say because these, those, I, I wasn't there for that. Yeah. So, and the stories like this always happen that people will blame something on something because that's, that's the show business, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. like pass the buck or blame somebody because then it adds to... I don't know, the fascination of the whole thing, you know. So so it could be that. It could be the fact that they just had had enough of each other, which which happens a lot with bands. So they recruited the alcoholic from Finlay instead. Yeah. That was the, the ginger Scottishman. And that's yes, what they went for, yeah. yeah. Uh, how did Pete Gill leave? So there's many versions of this. The one I heard was they were at the filming for Eat the Rich and it was an argument over a taxi. Obviously, Pete Gill was in Saxon, and there was a big fight. What? All, all I know about um, like Eat the Rich was they we we basically um, went to see a private showing of it, and it was incredible. You see, that was another thing in my life because I was so young and everything. You know, to be invited to a private cinema to watch a movie and us all be there, and um, I mean, you can imagine sitting watching a movie with Motorhead and some of the road crew and popcorn was not being eaten it was yeah. being thrown at each other and and that kind of stuff you know so so there was all that going on so that that was incredible but the bit that i know that i hated was that um they had it on uh, continuous play the film the whole thing the film continuous play at, at the, the front, front of the venue the Lenny, but that's, um, yeah and the film. It, it was just yeah too much too much but good fun but pete gill was great um, Pete Gill is the one that um, started the... Well, he was the one that brought it from Saxon, actually. Um, Dance of the Flaming Arseholes. The what? Dance of the Flaming Arseholes. What's that? It's a game. 
Um, oh, right. I thought it was a song. Was like, I no, no, no. It's a game. Have I missed an entire career. But, but basically what happens is you need a big venue. Big enough uh, for a train. Yeah, bigger, for, bigger than a train. Because people stood on a table and they dropped their trousers. And each person gets a toilet roll and they stick the front, the beginning of the toilet roll between their buttocks. All right. And then they unravel the toilet roll in a straight line down the corridor. Then you set fire to the toilet roll. Oh, is it the first one to get burned? It's the first, no, it's the last one standing on the table. Oh. It's the last one standing on the table because you can imagine how quickly they go up. And, um, yeah, and, and it's, yeah. Whoever stood standing on the table wins. You, know, you can't even smoke a vape in a restaurant, in a, in a venue <laughs> now, eh? but no, light your arse on fire was yes. absolutely just a standard Tuesday. But he, he brought that game and um, that was played a few times and it was called Dance the Flaming Arseholes. Never heard of that one, but I'll try it. Okay. <laughs> I didn't. I never tried it. And in fact, it, it was not pleasant to watch either. <laughs> uh, can I ask about the... Uh, the gig you did on a farm with Motorhead. Ooh, yeah, we, it was in Holland, actually. Um, so Lemmy would never, ever would cancel a show, ever. Uh, he, was, he was so determined that he played for all his fans and he loved music, you know. I mean, it's his, it was his absolute passion. And um, we were in Holland and we're driving down this road and tracks getting smaller and smaller but we could see all these cars parked in the field so we figured that that must be it um we got there and it was a barn they'd just taken the cows out of the barn they hadn't cleared up the barn <laughs> the barn still had the cow shit in pats on the floor of the where the audience was going but nobody cared you know and there was the stage in the background and the merchandise was sold from the pig pen. And the pig pen actually still had food, hay and stuff in the troughs. Really? Yeah, I mean, it was absolutely disgusting. Is that the merch desk? <laughs> yeah, and it was the merch. And it was, uh, it was awful. But like I say, Lemmy never, ever pulled a gig. So we played it. You know, and it was basically on a farm in Holland. But the scariest part of that was the, um, the promoter doing the... The um, advance and oh, like done the advance was actually getting the payment at the end of it. Were you uh, cow dung like or something? No, it was, it was in a little shed at the back behind the stage, and not, I knocked on the door and I just walked in, you know. But he had a gun, and there was a guy there that looked a bit white, so I decided to leave and go back <laughs> later. You know, so, yeah, I, I, that's one thing that I remember about the farm. I don't know if he had an argument where he put his cows or whatever he'd done, but it was just not the place to be. Was that towards the end of your time with Motorhead? Yeah. So, yeah. so the last year you, you toured with Motorhead was 1989, so it would have been like the cross between rock and roll in 1916. Yeah. Why did you stop touring with Motorhead? I stopped because, basically, I tour managed them. And although like people have said that I taught, I didn't tour manage them for ages. I, I, I was taught everything I knew about the music industry from them mm -hmm. because any band I ever worked for after that, I used to say, look, guys, please don't try it on. Whoever you are, don't try and do anything crazy because there's just no point. 
you know, I've, I've been on tour with Motorhead for the last 10 years. Anything you do will look silly in comparison. In comparison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, there's nothing you can do. So, which was good. But what happened was we were in Paris. It was two days before Christmas. And I'd already started to, I'd worked my way from doing merchandise to doing tour accounting. And it was basically because we'd just done what we, was 13 days, well, 14 days in Europe with 13 shows. And it was before we were even in the EU. So basically we have 13 different currencies and the tour manager didn't know what one kroner was from another, how much this was worth, how much that was worth. There had already been one huge mistake where a guy had bought a Swiss army knife and it had cost him two and a half thousand pounds. And he hadn't realized, you know, because we were just past every, every day was a different currency. Every day was different money. And he thought he'd actually got a good deal till I told him how much it was. But, but that was different. And the tour manager just said to me, Kim, help. You know, I, I have no idea how much this money is worth. What, what did we spend on fuel yesterday? What have we done with this? What have we done with the other? So I'd started to do tour accounts. And um, like I said, we were in Paris. Two days before Christmas, last show of the tour. And we just had a couple of days off in Paris as well. The band being Motorhead had realized that it was Christmas and they were going home and they needed to buy some Christmas presents. So each band member wanted, I think it was like £2,000, as I can remember it, £1,000 in um, French francs to go and do some shopping and £1,000 in sterling to take home with them for Christmas, which is great when you've not even got either of those currencies, but you've got everybody else's currencies. So I spent the whole Saturday morning going to every bureau de charge in Paris because all the banks were shot and try and change this money over, did, took it back to the hotel, but obviously I couldn't just hand it to them. Uh, it had to go through the TM first, and we couldn't find him, and nobody could find him. So then it was like, oh, my God, where is he? And somebody said, oh, the last time I saw him, he was in his room. Let's get a key. Let's get a spare key and find out. Oh, he's, he's dead. He's on the floor, and he's dead. Something's wrong. And um, we opened the door, and there was nobody in there. He'd done a bunk. He'd had enough. And there was nobody to do the settlement that night. There was nobody to do anything because two days before Christmas, nobody in London was going to come out for that and uh, it was only for one night. So I phoned the management company and I just said, Doug, what, have I, what, what do I do? What do we do? And um, he just said, just do it. Just go for it and do it. I, I was lucky because it wasn't like I was taking on a new crew. Motorhead Road Crew knew everything. I didn't have to say. They, everybody just did their job that day. And I know they had like a, a road crew that was there. Like everyone was had like at least ten years with yeah, the band. Absolutely, it wasn't a revolving door with crew. It was just like you yeah. had Hobbs and you had uh, oh, well, Roger. And Hobbsy and I were the only one that had done ten years at the time. Really, Hobbsy had done one year more than me. And that was because he was studio. He'd done some parts in studio and things like that before, but that was it. And then there was Eagle and Dill and just these amazing characters. E Eagle was one. there till the end, I'm sure. Yeah, Eagle yeah, was there. Yeah, yeah I, he was there after me. But when I left, it was just Hobbsy and I that had done. When I was then. going to see them in like 2012, yeah. Eagle was definitely there, Still which there. is crazy. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can't buy that dedication. No. At all, which is cool. Yeah. Um, so I. I but I did. I did the settlement that night. I'd never done a settlement before, and I did it that night. Um, 
without any help. I'd done them with tour manager, you know, we'd, we'd gone through stuff, but I'd never actually finalised the show that way, did it, and went home and it just became weird. It, it was it was like a domino effect because suddenly everybody was going like, this woman, she actually tour managed Motorhead. Yeah, for one night, guys. It was one night. It was like, yeah, oh my God. She got away with it. She did it. She's a female. She did it. And then suddenly my phone was going at home after Christmas and this guy on the phone, he was like, hi, um, I, I work in, like for these bands in America and we've heard what you've done and we need a female tour manager and would you like to come to America? That's how quickly the music industry changes, you know, and then bang, there I was going over there. So between uh, doing Motorhead as well, you also did Hawkwind and yes. you did Sabbath on yes. the Ronnie James Dio era of Heaven yeah. and Hell. What was that like? Because like I said, Hell on, that's like my favourite era of Sabbath. Which I, I threw Tony Iommi and Giza Butler out the building. Really? Yeah. Why? They didn't have a backstage pass on them. I didn't know who they were. I, I didn't like heavy metal, you know, like I said. You I should have gone down to that shop that you got left outside when you were younger, bought an issue of Kerrang. <laughs> <laughs> that might have been a good guidance for you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was in the foyer and these two guys walked in and they didn't have any bags or anything with them, so I just took it that they were fans. And I, I just said, can I help you? And they went, no. I was like, <laughs> okay. Well, the door's that way. And, you, you, and they, went, well, they were going towards the auditorium and they said, they're all locked. And they tried them, they went, and I said, out. <laughs> and I actually marched them out the building. And they thought it was hysterical, you know, obviously. <laughs> and it wasn't till later when I looked at the programme and saw that... You kind yeah. of seen their faces and went, yeah. oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, any minute now, they're going to say, replace her. <laughs> and you thought getting chucked out a window was a bad idea. I did, yeah, <laughs> I did. Uh, so after Motorhead... What did you do next? I know Chumba Wumba was oh, part God. of that. Well, there was Hawkwind as well in well, the Hawkwind, middle of that. You did that yeah. There was Sammy Hagar. There was like all these different heavy metal people. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, shut the noise up. I mean, that's why you I did girls listen. school as well, didn't you? I did who? Girls school. Yeah, I did girls school was as well. Was that in the like hit and run era? That was hit and run where um yeah where I actually got mugged. You got mugged. Yeah, I got mugged. Why? In hit and run. Well, it it was. <sighs> I decided we were in Manchester Apollo and I was going home for the night. I had my briefcase that had, I think, about £8,000 worth, which was a lot of money in those days. And um, I, it was just in my briefcase. And the car had been acting really weird. I had this car to get me home, but it was acting strangely. And it was sluggish, you know. It just There was no power in it. And we used to get to drive these uh, Sweeney cars, I used to call them, because they were Granada... Yeah, the Ford Granada sports things, and they used to fly. But Most of my head, like, I know what one is, but I'll just... Yeah, uh, it, was, it was one of those. And, and I've got no. a Clio. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was great, and I was coming off the motorway, going up the slip road, and it just died on me. I thought it was because of the rain or something, but I knew where there was a phone box. So I thought, okay, what do I do here? Do I take... I thought, no. This is a this is a card. No, if I hide it, I'll hide it. So I hid it, um, hid the big briefcase, grabbed a box of change, a bag of ten p's that it was in those days, and walked set off walking towards the phone box. And this car pulled up by the side of me. And we were talking about 
about one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning by then. This car pulls up the side of me and this guy goes, you okay? And I was like, I'm going to the phone box. He went, it's not working. I'm like, okay. I'm drenched by then, you know, I'm like soaking wet. And he said, I've, I've just tried to use it, couldn't use it, but there's one down further down the road. Jump in and I'll take you there. That's stupid. <laughs> I jumped in and I, he took me to the phone box. I'm actually pleased I did jump in. So I come out the phone box, he'd gone, he disappeared. And um, he actually came back about five minutes later and was like, I just realised that I dumped you this, and your car's all the way down there, I'll give you a lift back. Again, I never thought of anything. He dropped me off by the slip road. I walked down, got to the, and it's like, there's all this weird stuff on the seat, you know? So I started brushing it off, and it was glass. And I look at the window, and there's no window in the car. And I'm looking around now. There was a lot of stuff that could have been stolen. There was bags of coins on the dashboard. This is really going to show the age of this. There was two Sony Walkmans on there. <laughs> and it was before they'd come from Japan. You know, they weren't even out in this country. So they were on the, there. There was this amazing camera on there. And those all were left. But my briefcase had gone. All your credentials and well, no, it just was the eight grand had gone. Oh, oh right. Yeah, oh, all the yeah. money had gone, and um, I just panicked, started running down the road, and the police. There was a police car in the vicinity, and they stopped, and I was like, told them what had gone on, and I got arrested <laughs> <laughs> for like, what on earth? She's obviously this mad woman. What she done? She's broken the car or whatever. Wait, the police uh, yeah. got it wrong. I don't believe that. Well, yeah. <laughs> so I got taken into custody and was telling the story of what I thought, you know, what had happened to me. They verified it, realised I was telling the truth. And then I, I phoned girls' school up and was like, look, guys, I, I don't know what's going on, but I, w I won't have a car tomorrow, et cetera, et cetera. And I've just, and I, I don't know, I was in a bit of a state. And Gil... Is it their eight grand, I take it, yeah. Yeah, Gil oh. just turned around and went, oh, for God's sake, Kim, I hope you've not got any drugs on you, have you? This is in the police <laughs> yeah, office. You yeah. know, and I'm like... Oh, Gil, why did you say that? So then we had to go through, empty your pockets, <laughs> turn around, lift up your hair, do this, that, yeah. and the other, yeah. But no, I didn't. And they let me go, you know, afterwards, and when they realised what What was it like touring with girls' school? Because I heard Kelly Johnson was a riot back in the day. Great fun. Really? Yeah, absolutely great fun. I, I wouldn't... They were the kind of first girl band yeah. to, to be on that scene, you know what I mean? And it was... They're still going now, obviously. Yes, yeah. Uh, the 45 anniversary tour yeah, they're doing this year or something, something like that. Something like yeah. that. Uh, but yeah, they were like the first, like, four girls in a band and on a metal stage. What the fuck? That, that, it, you know what yeah, I mean? it was. And that's what it, it was, metal. Yeah, uh, I mean, but they paved the way for bands nowadays. Yeah. Essentially. There's a, a story about, I mean, it, we were in, um, it was a Scottish city, sorry guys. But we, we were in this Scottish city and we turned up. Did and it smell like shit? Dun no. Dundee. Dundee. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to say I've, I think I've, I've said which town it is in the book. But anyway, we were in this town and we got there and the stage wasn't big enough. It, it just, it, we couldn't do it. The stage was just not big enough. And so they hadn't even set up, you know, nothing had been set up. But the promoter decided to lock us in the building instead to make us set up and that didn't work because we found a fire exit and um, we all ran out the fire exit and got into the vehicles and just 
charge Bye. down the road. Bye. Swap the hotels. Didn't stay in the hotel we were supposed to stay at. Hid for the night. Yeah, and uh, yeah, did the next day. But yeah, girls, girls school great, great. Was it only just one tour of girls school? No, it was a couple, I think. Right. Yeah, a couple. I mean, they they did stuff with Motorhead as well, but Hit and Run was the main one. That were I did you there for the Head Girl? Did you do the Head Girl? Uh-huh. You know. Oh, man. <laughs> the, this, uh, I bet you've got one of the original T-shirts. With the no, I, I tell you what happened. With I, that heart on it. <laughs> uh, I wish, I wish, my daughter. Don't you just love kids? No, my, no. My my daughter, when she was younger, decided she'd make some money by selling your shit. Uh-huh. Oh God! She took all my t-shirts, and I've only got one of the original Motorhead. Oh no, actually, I've got two. Motorhead England t-shirt, a r- original one, not a Topshop one. I've got one of those left. I've got a Rush No Hemisphere sweatshirt. Really? And I've got a, a bootleg motorhead T-shirt, which has Lemmy riding a motorcycle. And if anybody knew Lemmy as well as I did, knows that he couldn't ride a motorcycle. <laughs> but that that's irrelevant. Um, I love when you watch the Kill by Death video in slow motion. You can clearly see it. It's like <laughs> he was on the back of a truck. <laughs> was it? Yeah. Yeah. He was. He, he hated most Did your stuff. daughter sell the stuff after Lemmy died? Yeah. Yeah, oh, it's good. Oh, she would have. Nah, that was quite, no, nah, that's quite wise then, because it was worth a fortune yeah. by then. She, you know, she waited she, yeah. till she cashed in she on his death, in. Essentially, essentially. She did cash in, but they've all gone. And, and yeah. actually, the one that made the most money? Iron Fist. No. No? Another Perfect Day. <sighs> yeah, Another yeah. Perfect Day. I, I, on top, to top that off, one thing I do have, that she's actually saying she's going to wait till Mick Jagger goes is a uh, pair of Bermuda shorts and a Hawaiian shirt matching in uh, turquoise, bright pink and yellow. How did you end up with them? From uh, Urban Jungle Tour. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, Urban Jungle Tour. And they were given to uh, the guys that used to do the wall of death and things, put up the lights and everything and all the rigging, but without harnesses. Yeah, yeah uh, hardcore guys. They were given to them, and uh, it was part of a joke from the Rolling Stones because it was like, you know, these are shocking pink and turquoise and yellow, not really the colour that these hardcore people would wear. Yeah, and uh, it was my husband that actually got it at the time, and I've still got it. And yeah, it's probably worth, worth quite a lot because yeah. it's never been Can worn. Can you prove either. it? Can you prove it? That it's his. Yeah. Is it authenticized? Well, I can prove it in the fact that I've got photographs and the tour passes and everything else that goes with right, it. Right, okay, yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Right, okay, so... And you can't I, have that either. No. <laughs> the Rolling Stones are shit, I'm sorry. I, I don't <laughs> care, I don't care, I don't care. Uh, cool. I was worried this was going to be like a 20-minute job and I'd be like, anyone else got something to say? <laughs> We're doing good. A uh, well, couple more music questions and uh-huh. we'll kind of wind it down. Because I really need a pee. <laughs> okay. Drinking like mad. Chumbawamba, uh, how did you get involved with them? Right, so it was a difficult one. that I'd, I've been on tour like all my life. It's the only thing I've ever done. And um, I was in my second marriage. And we saw each other in the September. And I felt a bit ill, you know, a bit sick on a tour. It was actually with Hawkwind. So I put it down to the fact of some of the hippie food that they were eating at the time. What um, ecstasy? <laughs> well, just they, they were just sort of like lots of uh, weird sort of type curry things 
at that moment, at that time. So I put it down to that, and we also had a very, very long um, journey. We did sort of like a thousand miles in 36 hours. So we were really pushing it, and I just thought I felt really sick. And I'd never felt that way before, but I, I did put it down to that. And um, when I got home, I went to the doctors. I just said, there's something wrong. Uh, give me a B12 shot. And he just went, there's nothing wrong. You're pregnant. <laughs> and I was like, oh, gosh. So, yeah. So what do you do? You quit. You know, the, the, I, I did actually, this is one thing that I always think about is I, I didn't have so many months off before the end of touring. I was touring up until Saturday night and my daughter was born the following Tuesday. Wow. So I was actually on tour with an assistant that did all the running around and on the tour bus they actually had to take out the bunk above me because I couldn't oh, fit yeah. in anymore. I can't imagine paternity fee yeah, maternity fee back yeah. then. It was bad. Well, it, it was bad. So I did that and um, it was, yeah, I, I then went to the, I stayed in the hospital for a week because I just figured it was the best time ever. I was getting a holiday. You know, I was in hospital, I didn't care, but I was actually, phew. Yeah. And I was walking through the door, I'd got my baby in the, you know, the car seat thing and walking through the front door and the phone was ringing. So I picked up the phone and it was America on the phone and they just went, when can you get here? And I just, oh, come on, please. I've just had a baby. And they went, yeah, okay. So, so when are you coming? <laughs> and I was like, I, I'm not coming for at least three months. And they said, okay. Can you be here in a month? And um, I had, to, yeah. I, so I went and I did a band called Pretty and Twisted, and it was just the most heartbreaking thing ever. Being and away from your daughter for being you know. away from her, and it was only two weeks, and I hated every second. Hated it. Um, cried myself to sleep at night, and it was just not the touring that I remembered. Came home and Doug Smith said there was some other stuff coming up with other people, and I just went, Doug, I quit. I can't do this anymore. What year was this? Um, this was in 1995. Oh, you know, I was born. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> so, so. What twist? I'm the kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I quit. And then basically what happened after that was um, I, di I did the odd bits and pieces when people did. Well, I got a new job and it was called troubleshooting because they didn't have a name for it at the time. And it was basically crisis management. If a band was in trouble for some reason, and typically everybody go, oh, that's drugs or that's drink or whatever. No, it's for lots of other things. Um, wives that hate you going out on tour. People that do not want to go out on tour, but they've, they'd already had all the advance and all the money that was going to be given to them, and now they had to fulfill their contract, but didn't want to go and do it. Mm. Um, hated touring. So there was I worked with those where I could just basically go in, sort the problem out. And because I'd seen so many problems up to that day, I knew exactly... I'm sure there wasn't a problem that you hadn't dealt with, yeah, with motorheads. Exactly. I mean? yeah. So I, I, I could see where it was coming from, who was the culprit, who was the cause of something, sort it out, and then go back home again. So, yeah, so that's, that's what I went on to when... And I've forgotten the question now. <laughs> started with Chumbawamba, I believe. Well, Chumbawamba, okay. So, yeah, John Prescott. That's how it started. It's like John Prescott. Um, it was the Brit Awards. Chumbawamba had their one hit, I Get Knocked Down, which... And I get up again. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, if you get that single out there and it's during the World Cup and every single TV 
station in the world, all 80 of them are using that for something, you know, like every time somebody's fallen over at the World Cup or missed a kick or done something wrong, they use that single. Yeah. So it, it was phenomenal, you know. And um, they're at the Brits and John Prescott, the Deputy Prime Minister, was sat at the front with his wife and they tipped a... Well, he had it. He was drinking wine and it was in a an ice bucket and they picked the ice bucket up and they tipped it over his head. And he was drenched. Now, the tour manager made... A fatal mistake is the one thing that you've got to realize is it doesn't matter who's out there you are paid to work for the band so whatever they do you've got to back it up you've got to back it up and this is an anarchist band for goodness sake you know you don't go i'm really sorry mr deputy prime minister we'll take your suit we'll have it dry cleaned the band will apologize we'll write to you we'll put it in you know you don't do that you go yeah right we did it and so I had a phone call at 2 a.m. after they'd done it in the morning, and it was just Doug again, and he just said, Kim, you booked on a flight at 6 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. I'm like, am I? And he was like, yeah, you're coming to London, you're going to sort this mess out. And, um, and that was Chumbawamba. I think it was mental that you had to back up the bands, yeah. no matter what they did. It's yeah. a good thing you never got asked to do with Lost Profits. <laughs> It was coming. You mean it? <laughs> so yeah. So it doesn't get any lower than that for me. Oh wait, yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> but that—that that was the job. You were paid by them. Yeah. And and that's what people have to remember. And it was also you had to be very discreet. You know, the whole world could be falling apart, but you would never let the band know. You know, you, the, there's ten foot of snow, but we've got to travel five hundred miles down the road tonight. But you don't need to know that right now. You know, um, you're booked on a flight at 3 a.m. in the morning. You're going to hate it getting up, but I'm still going to let you go to bed and then just wake you up and you'll never know the difference. So then, like, you're basically being a mum for like five... Exactly. ...plus two I, yeah, I say yeah. it's like glorified... Well, I used to say it's like glorified babysitting until I realised that as a babysitter when you were young, a teenager, yeah. you got to sneak your boyfriend or girlfriend in, you got to watch TV... And raid their fridge and their alcohol, right? Yeah. That's not what you get to do on tour. You get three, four hours sleep. Um, you don't drink because... You t well, I gave up drinking because it was the whole fact that I didn't want anybody to ever say, women can't do this because look at her, she's drunk. Yeah. So I had to be on my A game from day one and um, so I didn't drink. And I actually found it the best job I ever had was doing merchandising when I had no responsibilities at all. Because then I could have fun. <laughs> and the fun... Although I got the job I always wanted and the job I was told I'd never have because I was a woman. And I was told that from, from the actual tour manager on Elvis Costello when he said, did I have a good time selling merch? And I was like, yeah, but I want your job. Yeah. He actually turned around and went, but women don't do my job. I was going to say, like I said to you before, I did a podcast with a girl called Sophie, uh, who in 2010 was like one of the main people that interviewed bands for like Upset Magazine, etc. And she told me the story about she was in a venue in like Leeds or something, and the uh, one of the roadies went, oh, that's the band whore here. And it, you know what I mean? And because she was a female, like a pretty female, I can only imagine what it was like in 1979. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? If you're only getting sexually harassed, you're getting chucked out of windows. <laughs> <But> <laughs> Like it's it, just yeah. yeah. I, the younger when I was younger, it was fine. Yeah. As I got older, it got more in my face. Basically, when 
I actually, it was an American that said it to me, and I, I, he was a promoter, and I walked into his office, and I introduced myself. I said, hi, my name's Kim. I was called um, Stuart, I think, at the time. I've been married that many times. That's part of the music industry does to you, too. So I was like, hi, my name's Kim, and um, I'm the tour manager. And he went, okay, that's great, and carried on. So I just went, okay, fine, walked out. And then he, he came to me a bit later, and he was like, so, Kim, what time, uh, when does he get here? I'm like, what do you mean? Because my name is spelled K-I-M, and in America it's like K-I-M was the male version in America. That was how that was spelled. And he just said, when's Kim getting here? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm Kim. And still nothing, absolutely nothing. And, but what he did do was he made a mistake because we had this outrageous bottle of tequila that was supposed to be put in the... Which on, it was on the rider. And um, he was supposed to put it in the dressing room, but they didn't have any left. And he was like, oh, God, where's the, this tequila? We had a bottle last night. And, he was like, and the girl behind the bar said, yeah, but it, it got drunk. Somebody drank it, you know, it was bought. So he said, where's the bottle? And I'm just sat listening to all of this in the venue. And she said, it's in the bin. And he said, go get it out of the bin. So she did. She got it out of the bin. She brought it back to the bar. And he filled it up with a cheap tequila. And I'm clocking all of this and loving every minute because then he was like, put it in there and I just picked it up and just took it back to his office like, you need to change that. And it, it was such the biggest thrill because I knew exactly what was going on through his head. you know. And then to top that one off was at Madison Square Garden, which was completely unionised. You know, These were like hard, you couldn't touch a piece of equipment, you couldn't do anything. It was, the union had to do everything. And I was sat on a flight case and they were coming towards this flight case and this big head union guy went, well, we'll get her off that case. So I, I stepped down already before they got there. And then I heard them talking. I was just like, oh, you have heard they've got a, a woman as a tour manager. These guys have got this woman. Can you believe it? Like, just joking around these New York guys. And um, it's like, we're going to give her a real hard time. So I was like, okay, are you? And uh, so when I went with the promoter, I was just like, mm, you might want to go and talk to your union guys. And he's like, why? So apparently they're going to give me a really hard time and I'd love for you to introduce me. And they did. And the guy's face was a picture because it was like, oh, okay. And I, 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 yeah, his face, I can still remember. So I think that's mental. Like that yeah. attitude that people had and sometimes still have nowadays for being female is quite See, ridiculous. Some get angry. Some get angry at being called It's because I know music's pri primarily in some sort of ways is a man's world in terms of like the faces of it. Uh -huh. But women make up just as much as everything yeah. else. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And you're living proof of that well, from, early, from yeah. early days. Like I said, a lot of women used to get, to get angry now and go like, why are there not any women in the music industry? Why don't they do this? Why don't, you know, we need more women in the music industry. I'm like, look, if I can do it in 1979, yeah. you can do it in... Has your you daughter, know. obviously she's got t-shirt selling experience. Yeah. Is, uh, is she no. ever... <laughs> no, not music whatsoever. No, nah, um, she's not bothered. No. What's she like? Is she like you? Kind of. Kind of. Kind of, but she also says, when I'm like, you know, like when she was growing up and I'd go, what time do you call this? And she'd go, Mum, really? <laughs> I, I, you know, like, yeah. you've done fun. And I'd go like, 
I can let imagine. Me look, let me look at your eyes, and she'll go, "Oh, don't be ridiculous. I've not done half the things that you have." I can imagine her like in an argument with you, and you're like, "You did," and then she just whips out your book and go, "Well, in 1981, you did this, <laughs> and I fucking got proof here." Yeah, well, it, it it is like, but she's just the kind of the opposite because she just goes like, "Look, mom, trust me, I'm not half as bad as you are, you were, and you know you've done it all." And I've looked at you and thought, oh, God, no, I'm not going down that route. So she's actually, she wants to become an airline pilot. Class. Yeah. A couple more wee things. And this, the next question, the second last question, has got a lot to do with what you just talked about. So it's a very, very different touring world nowadays yeah. in terms of back then, like, you send your book, if you needed to use a telephone, you had to wait 30 miles to get to a phone box where you might get mugged in Manchester. Yeah. Or, you know, you, you mean, you got to go to the venue to use the phone. Nowadays, your WhatsApp's going off in your back pocket every two seconds. There's ten shades of laminate for different access to areas. There's passes. There's just, like, every type of credential possible. Uh-huh. Would you go... Would you ever want to go back into it knowing what it's like no. now as an industry? No. Now is it just too... Even Lemmy said that. I remember yeah. he did. It's like, this isn't touring anymore. This was like 2005. Yeah. So it's even worse 20 years later that yeah. it's no longer... I mean, it's still touring and it's still music at the core of it, but I bet it's nowhere near as fun as what it used to be and you can't get away with as much. Touring lost Some of it's, it's quite good that you can't get away with as much, but... Well, it, it lost its, its appeal once the accountants entered the building. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it's one of those that it just became a money thing and nobody cared about anything, and everything had to be checked. And I remember going for an interview, and it was, it was quite quite strange, really, when this all started. And it was when I was toying with the fact of going back into tour managing. And um, it was in Los Angeles, and he'd sent a car for me. It's a big black car, limo turned up, and we went up into the canyon to this amazing house that is, like, office was as big as his house next door it was crazy on this huge estate and I met this guy and um, he went through everything I had to do and I just went uh, no sorry and I turned him down and it was because the fact that he was like I had to fill out all these forms on the computer I had no responsibility whatsoever the responsibility had suddenly gone tour manager was was the manager that took over the minute the band left the office, you know. The minute the band went on tour, a tour manager took over their responsibility. Now there's no need for that because you can't do anything. You have to get permission from the manager and there's no excuse not to. And one of the best things I ever did was hire a Learjet. You know, it was £10,000 and I, I was like, yeah, I'll hire a Learjet. I couldn't do that if I was a tour manager now. Yeah. They'd go, what, why, did you spend, why didn't you ask first? And where's your receipt? Yeah. Not <laughs> yeah, a VAT exactly. receipt now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, but uh, the Learjet was fun. <laughs> so, kind of winding down, last kind of question, I think. I think we've done all right. It's been about an hour and 20, I think. We're good, yeah. It's been all right. It's not been a shit show what I thought it was going to be. Good. I'm glad. I'm so pleased. I was not, not in you. I was worried about me. <laughs> I'm just. I uh-huh. shouldn't be given a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what was my last question? I, I just turned know. my. I just put my. You put it down. Yeah, because I memorised it, but I didn't. It? Uh, right, okay. I'll make up on the spot. Your future. What apart from plugging your book and 
selling your Which book. Which we've never actually said. Yeah, my book's called Lipstick and Leather. Oh, yeah, we mentioned the first book, didn't we? Confession. Yeah, yeah. but we never Oh, yeah, Kim's got a book, everybody. <laughs> it's a hardback. It's called Lipstick and Leather. And basically, it's my lipstick and the band's leather. Because what I've never tried to do is... I've never been a roadie that's worn steel cap boots. I've never been a roadie that's had keys hanging from my, ba- or from my waist on my belt. Um, it's quite funny that people have actually commented on the fact that instead of a spanner in my back pocket, I had a, like a Tiffany pen. And in- instead of like having um, hobnail boots on, I've had like designer trainers on or something like that. I've never conformed. So I didn't wear the leather jacket. I've never had a motorbike jacket. And um, so that's why it's called my it's lipstick and leather. My lipstick, their leather, because... Yeah, I always try to look like the groupies, but I never succeed. <laughs> so is that your plan for the future? Just My promote plan? your book, do more, well, yes. do more talking with so it's people that. with Tourette's? <laughs> <laughs> it's that, and then I have a real passion to tell, to inspire people, to encourage minorities. And I'm not talking about just women, you know, because they're everywhere. And and they should be, which is right. I, I'm one who inspired. I met. I think I told you earlier. I met this amazing guy, and he's blind, but he's the most amazing sound guy ever. But he can't work at venues because you know he can't he can't go on tour because he's blind. Another guy that's in a wheelchair that can't do things. So there's all these other things that I want to encourage them. So I'm trying to encourage minorities to become priorities in different ways. You know, we've got to be realistic about things. Um, I've never packed a truck in my life. I've never packed boxes. I've never been a roadie in that stage. But I never wanted to. So let's not try and do things that we think are possible. Let's look uh, when they're absolutely not possible and let's look at alternatives, you know, of things to do. I mean, I've said to this guy with the sound guy, you need a venue. You need a venue that you can get your head around and know exactly where things are and bring bands in there. And he'd never thought of that. You know, just just little things like that that because I've seen so much. And music is music, but I can't tell people how to how to get a career within it. I can only give them encouragement from the what guidance. my experience has been. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> I think we're done. <laughs> Are we done? <laughs> usually I've got a stop button, and that's usually in the podcast, but I've got to, got to walk off stage. Should we plug your book? Right, so if yeah, anyone wants yeah, to buy... your foot. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a fucking expensive coaster, that. <laughs> Lipstick and leather... This is my free copy, so go and buy one. <laughs> or get Audio in the Audible app, oh. get a one-month subscription, <laughs> cancel yeah, it, and you get it for free. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a great read, I've heard. So get that. Uh, yeah, I've got, I've, have got some copies with me if anybody's interested, and I'll sign them to you if you want one. Or if not, you can buy them on Amazon five quid cheaper than I can sell them to you. So it's up to you. <laughs> Amazon are bastards, aren't, aren't they? they? Aren't they just? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it's, uh, it's written from the heart. It's very true and tells you all the ups and downs and things about touring. And there are no downs because you never remember them. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, 
Kim Hawes at Kim Hawes on Instagram, I suppose. Kim Hawes TM TM. Tour manager, the music, whatever you want to call TM for. Yeah. <laughs> and at Stodcast, if, if I'm not badgered you into fucking following it. <laughs> right, Kim, thank you very much, and thank you all you guys for this. Oh. Let's go.